0: Today's uh, reading comes from Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, the, is one. is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he asked, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, on no one dared ask him any more questions. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hey, good morning. All right, well, my name is Mark, and I guess I'm one of the pastors here now, um, so <laughs> that's something. Uh, no, in, in all honesty, though, we, I just wanted to start by, um, by telling you all just how thankful we are to, um, to, be, uh, to be your pastor, for me to be your pastor now. Um, we, sorry, give me a second here. oh This isn't good. There we go. Anyway, let's start over. Okay, wanted to start by saying we are so grateful for you and for this church. Um, it's really an honor and a privilege to be one of your pastors now. Uh, last Sunday during the installation was just such a meaningful time for Allison and I um, to be prayed over by you, to be loved by you, and to be affirmed by you in this calling. Um, we love this church so much, even more deeply than we thought we might have when we started this work four or five years ago. Um, and with that, also, we feel the weight of this. We don't take it lightly, uh, what it means to care for and to lead this body. And uh, we are just really humbled by that. So thanks for your care and for your, for your support for us. I guess my only request is that you just continue to please pray for us as we try to love you well as Christ's bride. Um, we need your prayers um, so badly, and uh, we really do cherish them. So just thanks for loving us so well, and I hope you feel that we can love you as Christ loves you in some small way. Um, But with that, let's pray, um, and then we can get started. Father, uh, thank you for the love uh, that you have given us in Christ. We pray that by your Spirit, you would um, move in our hearts this morning, that you would help us to see what it means to live the greatest commandment of love, um, but only out of the love that you have for us as you're raised and adopted and fully seen and known sons and daughters. And so, Holy Spirit, please uh, give us clarity as we seek to, to see what your word has to say to us and give us a kingdom mindset, um, we pray. Uh, thanks for Jesus. Uh, he really is the only, the only true God and we, uh, we love you so much, amen. So for those of you who are note takers, we're just going to jump right into it. I know some of you love that. So we're just going to go right into it. And, and this is what we want to see this morning. The way to the kingdom is to live as fully loved sons and daughters who love God wholly and who love others selflessly. That's the way to the kingdom is to live as fully loved sons and daughters who love God wholly and who love others selflessly. So a few weeks ago, uh, we looked at uh, Jesus' interaction with the, the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. And I think uh, this passage that we see about the scribe asking about the greatest commandment is really just a parallel to that. In Mark 10, uh, a rich young ruler, or as Jeremy has uh, rebranded him, the young college-educated professional, comes to Jesus and tells him that he's kept every single commandment since he was a boy— and ask what he needs to do to get eternal life. And in Mark 10, Jesus, it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And we see what I think is a similar story in this passage. A scribe who is a sort of lawyer and expert on the Jewish law comes up to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? And it was common for Jewish uh, leaders and and scholars of that day to write about and argue about which commandment was the greatest, or they might say, which one was the weightiest of them all. And then unlike the rich young ruler uh, who said he had fulfilled all the laws and he asked, what now? the scribe recognizes that there's way too many laws to keep or even to try to keep equally. And so instead of saying, I've done it all, what now? The scribe comes to Jesus the opposite way and he says, I can't do it all, so what should I do? And in both instances, Jesus responds with love. The answer answer to the question about the way to the kingdom of heaven is always first, the love of Jesus he looks at the rich young ruler and it says that first that he loved him. And he responds to the scribe with the greatest commandments of love. When we think about the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that Jesus is inviting us to participate to, with today in the world, that we will, it will be fully realized when he returns, we must always start with the love of God. God's deep love for us is the foundation of this upside-down kingdom that calls us to practice radical simplicity, to love God with everything, and to sacrificially love those around us, even our enemies. The kingdom of heaven is built on the kind of love that we don't often find in the world, and it's a perfect love and full kind of love that only comes from God the Father himself through Jesus. Uh, in 1 John, 10, 1 John 4, he describes this kind of love for us, starting in verse 10, he says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so when the scribe and the rich young ruler are seeking the next steps to the kingdom of God, this kingdom that they've more or less been waiting for their entire lives, it's remarkable what happens when they meet the king himself. They meet Jesus along the path to the kingdom that they're seeking and ask for the way, and his response is love every time. He tells them, love God wholly, love others sacrificially, and that by doing so, he says, you are so close to the kingdom. I love the way that the, the scribe then responds to Jesus. He says to the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, he says, yep, you're right. Good answer, Jesus. That's, that's the right way to go, which I think is a pretty funny thought, but maybe not too far off the way that I respond sometimes. But it's not crazy surprising that the scribe wasn't too thrown off by his answer because the first response that Jesus gives on the greatest commandment is actually the first part of Deuteronomy 6, which every Jewish person in the crowd would have known. Um, It's a command called the, the Shema, which is the first word in Hebrew. And it starts like this in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframes of your houses and your gates. So every Jewish person would have known this. And actually, at the time of Jesus, and still today, uh, Jewish people will use something called phylacteries, which are uh, little leather boxes that have scripture written inside and and leather tassels hanging off off of them. And they were li- they will lit- literally tie the words of God to their foreheads and to their arms during their prayer rituals. I encourage you to look it up on YouTube. It might actually make you want to try it yourself. But other religious leaders had in the past identified that one or both of these commandments were probably the greatest. They were of the most importance, the weightiest. So the scribe probably wasn't surprised when Jesus said his priorities were love God, like the Shema, and love others as yourself. But what is surprising about the scribe's response and what is included by, in, by Mark here, and it is not an accident, that the scribe in his affirmation of Jesus says that living by these commands is greater than any whole burnt offerings or sacrifices. See, the irony that Mark expects his readers to see here is that Jesus is about to fulfill the law and make all offerings and sacrifices obsolete anyway. God has always cared about the heart and true worship is giving of ourselves to him and others. That's what he wants. So Jesus then is about to, is about to become the final sacrifice that will make a way to the kingdom where, God, where people can love God wholly and then love one another sacrificially. Because just a few days from now, remember, we're in the last seven days of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. He's about to be betrayed, tried by the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders, and then crucified because he claimed to be God himself. And so in that 1 John 4 passage that we read earlier, it tells us that Jesus gave himself up as an atoning sacrifice or a covering sacrifice, the final sacrifice for our sins. So though the people of God used to have to provide offerings and sacrifices both to worship and to cover the sins of the past— Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice that covers up all of our sins, right? And so he makes a way then to the kingdom of heaven and allows us now to worship truly from our hearts, which is what God wanted all along. And then the next thing I love about this passage, though, is that it's framed in conversations about resurrection and Jesus is both king and the resurrected Lord. So it's not just sacrifice here. We also see resurrection. Because right before Jesus starts talking about the, um, the greatest commandment, he's actually been arguing with a group called the Sadducees about whether there's actually a bodily resurrection from the dead for, the, for God's people. The Sadducees were this religious party, this religious sect inside of Judaism at the time that thought it was actually ridiculous to believe that we would actually be raised again in new bodies from the dead at the coming of God's kingdom. And I think it's also so important to stop and note here that the belief of the Sadducees, that that there is no bodily resurrection, is not too far off from what I think many of us might actually believe in practice of what our view of life after death looks like. Because biblical Christian orthodoxy is very clear that when Christ returns to fully bring his kingdom to the new heavens and the new earth, we will be raised from the dead like Jesus was to inhabit new bodies. We are not just souls floating around in the ether forever. We will be re-embodied and raised from the dead. And that's actually kind of wild. uh, And it's something that I don't think our culture really grasps about the Christian faith. And therefore, because we are steeped and embedded in our culture, I think it is a hard thing for us, too, to grasp about the Christian faith. But it is so fundamental to understanding how we live now. If you listen to Paul in Romans 13, he talks about living in light of our coming resurrection. He says in Romans 13, 11, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation, or our resurrection, is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off works of darkness and put on the armor of light. If you want to see the kingdom today, live like the night is actually coming to an end. Like you will actually see the Lord in his glory and be made like him soon in his resurrection. Because you're not meant to live like you used to but to put on the new life that you are going to have for eternity. That is the Lord's plan for us. Eternity is not far off. Sinless existence and perfect harmony with the triune God is more than just a concept for us. It is more than something we believe on paper. It is actually around the next corner in this kingdom path that we are trying to faithfully walk together When we think about following the greatest commands of Jesus, we ought to do so looking to the love of God that we have in Christ and also recalling and remembering our coming resurrection reality in him. And so my encouragement to us this morning is to take off the grave clothes of your old life and the love the Lord with this new life of your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself because you are already deeply, fully, and sacrificially loved by God. So again in our passage, verse 29, thinking about loving the Lord wholly. The, important, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The kind of love that the Shema and Jesus command here is what we might call a wholehearted love, a wholehearted love. This means that we take that out of our belovedness, we are beloved as adopted sons and daughters of God the Father, we seek then to love God with our whole lives. He says that we need to love with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, and an exercise that I was kind of thinking through this week is would, would be to think about what if we only love the Lord with one of those four aspects? Like if we love with just our minds, I think it would lead us to this cold intellectualism that knows the Bible and maybe knows facts about Jesus, but then lacks any real experience of Christ and any truly tra- any true transformation in our lives. To love with our heart only would be to have these emotional experiences that, uh, that, that in the love that Jesus does offer us, but then lacks the biblical foundation of truth to guide us through those experiences. To love with just your soul might be expressed by a hyperspirituality that is constantly looking for words and works from the Spirit, which we affirm, but fails to see the importance of an embodied life, of understanding the Word, and of using your gifts to serve your neighbor here and now in this world. And then finally, the strength, loving only with strength would be more of what so many of us, I think, have already tried, to walk the Christian life without the rest and the power that comes with the Spirit and never actually being able to acknowledge a true need for God or a true need for others. But then you put all four of them together and it starts to look like a wholehearted love and the kind of discipleship that Jesus offers, right? This is the thing that's more Pleasing to him than burnt offerings or anything we could imagine that would please the Lord, because we because he what he wanted all along was our hearts, not our offerings. Right. So, like, think back to the rich young ruler. So Jesus asks him to sell everything, and we know that he goes away sad because it was too much for him. But then also consider the story of the widow. A little bit lower down in your Bible, about ten verses later, in verse forty-one, Jesus is still in the temple courts, and he goes. And sits down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into into the treasury than all others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. In both accounts, both here and with the rich young ruler, Jesus shows that giving entirely of one's life is actually what he desires of his people. When we think about Jesus saying it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, you can actually see the contrast here that the wholehearted gift of the widow seems to be much closer to being able to access the kingdom than the wealth and power and affluence of the rich young ruler. I'm going to go out of my depth here, but have you guys seen this guy on TikTok? Um, His name is Jimmy Darts. Has anybody seen him? Okay, well, I'll give him a few more followers this morning. So he's this guy on the internet who will walk up to people, and it seems to me that he's mostly in Walmart parking lots from what I saw, and will ask them to do something like help him change a flat tire or if they can give him a dollar. And then the first person that helps him, he gives them $500 cash right on the spot. So it's some good, you know, good digital content for all you millennials out there. But I've noticed that the people who seem like they're a lot more put together um, and have a little bit more going for him, they tend to snub him and really can't be bothered with his petty requests. And the people who notice him and stop to help and listen to help him or to listen to him are usually the ones that get the $500. And then they almost always reveal that they're actually personally out of money or that they're struggling significantly. And I just found that distinction striking, that these, that these people who seem to be on, you know, on the outside have it together cannot be bothered by him. But the people who are poorer and more needy are almost always more aware of the needs of others and I dare say are closer to the kingdom of God than their counterparts. And I know this is hard for many of us to hear. And quite honestly, as I think about what this means for us, I'm simultaneously wrestling with what it means for me. But in my prayer for us this week, the Rich Young Ruler passage paired with the commandment to love God with everything and to love others as yourself have stuck with me as particularly needed for this church, for our group today. And the big question I want to ask us is this. Are you choosing patterns in your life that set you on the path to the kingdom. It's been something that's really been stirring in me really since Jeremy's passage on Mark 10. Are you choosing patterns in your life that set you on the path to the kingdom? Are you setting yourself up to step towards loving the Lord with all your heart more, heart, mind, soul, and strength a little bit more each day? It's like, how are wealth and ambition and power and affluence and comfort, like they were for the rich young ruler, distracting, they're gating you from a whole a life of wholehearted love that follows Jesus. I have to ask myself, what choices are we making and patterns are we setting that reflect the resurrection reality that we have coming? the, resu- the fact that the night is almost over and the day of the Lord is closer than it's ever been, so that we live as though our fully raised selves are just around. The corner. And I hear those words for myself and I, and I feel uneasy. I feel off center because it reveals, I think to me, that the center of my life is, is still built on kind of my old pre-resurrection world, right? It makes me consider the things that I probably love more than the one true God on a practical level. And maybe for you, perhaps it isn't wealth and affluence, but it's actually comfort and pleasure and affirmation of those around you. I'm not asking us to drop all the good things in our life. I think that would be that would be wrong. That wouldn't be the way of Jesus, right? But Jesus is commanding us to examine our hearts and to ask where we get distracted and what things we give ourselves to the most. I just, I so badly, I want a formula. I'm a real analytical guy. I'm a big math guy. I want a formula. And every time somebody comes to Jesus and says, give me a formula in a way that frustrates me every time I read scripture, Jesus just comes back and says, well, let me talk about your heart a little bit. It's like, that is not helpful to me. But as we think about this, there are just so many distractions that are competing for our affections that how could Jesus even give us rules because we would find ways to live in our old pre-resurrection reality. I mean, even think about religion itself. We can get caught up in the liturgy here and the music and, dare I say, even the community and the growth of this church. And we can miss loving the Lord as the point of our gatherings and our life together with him. My encouragement for us this morning is to take steps towards the kingdom, not away from it. I love that the way that Jesus encourages the scribe here in his conversation. is He's saying that you are not far off from the kingdom of God. You are close. You are getting there. Man, and One thing that I've been thinking about this week is when we make decisions about our lives, I wonder if we should ask, as Jesus stands beside us, if he would be saying, you're getting a little bit closer. Or would he be saying to us, you're getting a little bit further away from my kingdom. You're getting a little closer or you're getting a little further. You know, our imminent resurrection may may make it seem kind of overwhelming and a little far off on like the life that we could attain with Christ or the life that we know that we will have with Christ. But instead, what I want to say is take it as an encouragement that God's plan for you the destination he has for you is to take steps towards that reality. So you can experience the love and the kingdom life that comes with Jesus more fully today and then also invite others to do the same, both with the believers that are with you and those that are in the world that are, that are outside of, of the kingdom. And then we love others sacrificially. You know, in the vein of reminding us that stepping towards the kingdom life really matters, Jesus poignantly says that we are also to love others as ourselves today. He keeps it boots on the ground on the practical level. See, like the kingdom itself, this command starts with understanding that we first are fully and sacrificially loved by God himself. So the command to love others then is the love that overflows from us into the form of sacrificial love for others. And so like the question that we asked about loving God with everything, the question also begs this, are we setting ourselves up to sacrificially love our neighbors as ourselves? See, because loving others as ourselves requires that we have genuine community with one another and that we are also seeking to sacrificially love those who are not like us. So, just a couple questions. Do you have genuine community where you can love selflessly, be known, and have kingdom like relationships? Have you put yourself in a position where the love you have for the people in your community group, let's say, is deep enough that you do actually have to sacrifice in the relationship? Or on the other side of that, do you keep enough distance so that your relationships are just surface level enough? that it doesn't require very much of you. Man, that's a hard word, but we are called to love our brothers and sisters like Jesus loved us. So my encouragement to you is this, step a little bit deeper towards the kingdom. Step a little bit deeper in relationships with your CG and with other people in this church. Find out how you can serve them and how you can help carry their burdens and their lives just as Jesus carries ours in his love for us. And then further outside of maybe this body, how are you stepping towards a sacrificial life that looks a lot more like the widows who had two pennies to rub together and and gave them as an offering and less like the rich young ruler who had too much and too much going for him to follow Jesus. Actually, it's in Luke 10 that Jesus gives the greatest commandment. This is when Luke chooses to put put it in his gospel. And then Luke immediately follows the story by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is about someone who sacrificially loves another person that should have been regarded as their enemy. And so I encourage us then to examine where you can use your giftedness and your passions and your time to love the neighbors of our community and perhaps the world just a little bit more to step into that aspect of the kingdom as well. Because sacrificial love goes beyond loving those who are just like us. You know, this would usually be in the announcement section of the service. But after church today, believe it or not, we have a service lunch where you can learn about what groups in the community that we are partnering with um, so that in a way that you can love and serve your neighbors just a little bit more. So I encourage you, if you can, to attend that. Um, It's a great place for you to see what it might look like for you to take steps towards living out the kingdom by loving our community, the city of Columbia and mid-Missouri a little more sacrificially. See, because Jesus is calling us to step a little bit closer to the kingdom. And it's out of our belovedness, it's always out of the love of God for us first that we can step into loving others more wholeheartedly and more sacrificially. The way to the kingdom is to live as fully loved sons and daughters who love God wholly, and who love others sacrificially. You are a loved and raised child of God. You're empowered by the Spirit to the love of the Lord your God and others wholeheartedly today in preparation for when we will fully realize that life when Christ's kingdom comes and Christ returns. Let's pray together.